Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Hickey is here, and I guess the big news we should start off with is we have found Hickey's replacement. We've we've significantly upgraded to... <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> to uh, IndyCar rookie, Dale Coyne, and HMD Motorsports, David Malukas. David will join probably monthly at least during the season, maybe maybe that'll change in the future, but his first episode, I'm hoping, will be the week into mid-Ohio in a couple weeks, so give everybody some time to, to recover this week after you know being busy for the last eight weeks or something ridiculous like that, so yep, that's cool, and Matt, if you ever want to join a David Malukas episode when your time is no longer here. We'll, we'll allow it. Well, you you have to check with Frenchie, but I'll 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 allow it. Yeah. So it was a good month for PLP. You got rid of me. You got David <laughs> mm-hmm. Malukas. Uh, yeah. Not not a bad upgrade. So I hope he has fun. I hope you guys have fun with him. He's a good he's a good guy. I uh, don't really have anything negative to say about him. I think the only thing that you're going to miss is when you introduce me, it's just Hickey. Yeah. When you introduce him, it's David Malukas of Dale Coyne Racing with HMD Motorsports, IndyCar driver, rookie of the year at the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> Should I bring that up That's, in our first episode? Absolutely. That'd be the okay. first thing I'd ask him. Yeah. It's like, I don't want, hey, I don't man, want to have did poor, get, did, did, did IndyCar at least buy or did IMS buy you a bottle of wine first, or the <laughs> the media, or who, whoever voted for Jimmy? Did they buy you a bottle of wine first, or is he even twenty one yet? Is he even allowed? To, we we might have to hold off on that I bottle mean, of wine till next year. I don't know. I wouldn't care either. I'd yeah. I'd give him a spotted cow, but yeah. Then I get arrested. Well, Did, Wisconsin, they don't have walls. But. Yeah, Wisconsin doesn't really care about anything. I kind of gathered that this weekend, but <laughs> did did that was so mean? Did you get? to you know you you enjoyed road america you got to wander around and have you a few spotted cows and whatnot so what's it what's it like watching indie cars around road america on probably the most beautiful weekend of racing we might have ever seen well yeah it's just that you know you look at the forecast this week which is the traditional week that it's on and there's heat indexes all across the midwest so hindsight not really mad they moved it up a week because the weather was amazing. The predict the predicted showers for I think it was Saturday really held off. It yeah. was just a couple sprinkles here and there. Nothing. It was like kind of right after IndyCar qualifying. It rained for maybe a solid ten minutes and the radicals were impacted. But uh, it was a beautiful weekend of weather. Uh, race day was great. Um, I was talking last night with some of the guys that the only vantage points I didn't really get to check out when the Indy cars were on track was the carousel and sitting on the hill on the front stretch where you get to see the last corner and see them come at you up the hill. I didn't get to check those two out. But other than that, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of time to go check out everything. And it was, uh, it's always, it's tough. It's, you know, the first couple of days when you get home, you're sad that you're no longer there and you're sad that you're no longer with, you know, your racing family and whatnot. So in, in a week, I think I'll, you know, look back to the times like, oh yeah, you remember when 
Jay was massaging Lightning's leg on the first night that we were there after several alcohols. Um, Because I do. That was a good time. Or, hey, do you remember when Thomas broke out his shirt on Saturday night in front of everybody and put it on and got to show off? And I'm not going to say what it says, but uh, he'll know what I'm talking about. And anybody who's there doesn't know what I'm talking about. Um, You know, waking up to Jill's breakfast, seeing Jeff and... Obviously, lighting and Michelle and yeah, it's it's those kind of things you're gonna miss. So I probably sound like a, a bumbling old man right now, but and my parents were there obviously, so they got to enjoy the experience too and got to hang out with a bunch of our friends, a couple guys from the league, CD, Colin. Good times. Yeah, I think um, I think missing, I hung out with your parents already. longer than I did you. Probably right. What was it? Media Center. Five minutes on pit lane. Yeah. yeah, My schedule this weekend ended up way busier than I expected, but which is a good thing. Like, it's not not bad, but I did get to walk down. I walked all the way down that hill into the last turn because I wanted to see the cars kind of as they go up the hill. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then walking back up the hill, I immediately regretted how far I had walked. So that was not as fun, but it was really cool. How many times... How many times have you gone from the go-kart track to the media center? Zero. That is the most unfun walk in the history of ever because it's entirely uphill. So if I'm if I'm like where the the paddock is, you know, the Parker Johns, let's say, where am I going? Like what direction at least? So you're going towards turn four, which isn't a real turn. It's okay, like between yeah. turns three and five. You're going over the Sargento Bridge and then keep going straight down the hill uh, towards the carousel and then going over the Johnsonville Bridge. And then that gets you to the go-kart track. Sure. Going there is not a problem. It's all downhill. Going back sucks. May have biked that once and suffered severe heat exhaustion and vomited because of it. Oops. Trying to bike uphill all that way. Not, the, uh, not this year. No, no, no. Okay. No, okay. no. No, no. Jill lets me use the, the golf cart now. Thank God. Thanks, Jill. Because I'm because I'm lazy. So yes, thank you, Jill, and thank you to Jill Thomas and Jay for putting up with me all weekend. That was much appreciated. Uh, I got the room with Jay. That was a great, great time. I uh, might have fallen asleep mid sentence. One of the, and it wasn't even. I mean, it was like slightly. I had several beers, but I was definitely not intoxicated. I was just very tired. I do and that sober, so. You know. Yeah, we we were talking about stuff that was kind of like you know like stuff that I should be paying attention to, and then we got like talking about subjects that were just like bullshitting, and I definitely just fell asleep, so my fault. But yeah, it was such a it was such a fun weekend. It's just good to see everybody having a good time, and uh, David and Michelle invited their friends Sarah and Tim. It was Sarah's second race, Tim's first race, and just to see they're kind of like they're you know around our age and to hear them kind of their enthusiasm and asking questions and wanting to learn what's going on just to see like new people come to the track. It's always a good time. So I, I already miss it. I can't wait for next year already. The only real issue I had on the weekend was that the turn five corn was sold out pretty much all day Sunday. So lesson learned is I need to get my corn on Friday or Saturday next year. I went up three times and they said, come back half hour, come back in 20 minutes. 
Oh. Michelle went up once during the race for our group, which was very nice of her to attempt to get one for everybody. And she was told, come back in half an hour. And then, so I literally set my phone for a half an hour timer, went up because I was chilling with the lightings at that time. And I was going to yeah. go back to the bench group, went up, went to check. They said, we're out for the day. And this was on like lap 31. So by lap 31, they had sold out of corn which is very sad. And, you know, people are going to link, people always kind of just linger after the race too. So I think they either, they sold a ton on Friday and Saturday, which I doubt, or they were just ill-prepared this year, which either way, I'm very sad. So that was like the only detracting experience from my weekend. And I was almost in a uh, police chase crash on my way to the track on Thursday. I'm, I'm guessing you weren't involved in that. You just got kind of got sucked into it by nature of where you were driving, correct? Yeah, it was a sharp – yeah, it was going through Portage, Wisconsin. There's a, there's a bridge into town on the main street, and then it's like a sharp 90-degree turn that the main street takes, so it's not like I was turning onto a different road. I hear sirens, and I'm like checking my mirrors. I'm like, well, they're not behind me. And I was in my lane, and so I'm like approaching this 90-degree corner, and all of a sudden two SUVs just come hauling ass around the corner – and one of them straight into my lane and it wasn't like anything dramatic. Like they were almost hit me, but it was definitely like, Ooh, wow. Like if I was, you know, 50 feet further ahead, I would have been just sideswiped. And so I'm like, God, they were hauling. It was a 25 mile an hour speed. I'm like, God, they're hauling. All of a sudden you see four cop cars hauling ass behind him to try and catch them. I'm like, <laughs> and then one by one, they were probably about like, 15 seconds apart but there was 10 more cop cars following so i just had to like pull over for a solid three minutes while the cop cars chased him and i never never looked i might google that while you give a story or two but i should probably figure out if there was something hope nothing serious happened um but yeah that was that got the uh that got me awake a little bit i guess on the way there i was only had about 90 minutes left after that that's that's definitely a uh, reasonable thing to kind of yeah, you know, give you quite a wake up. Yeah, like I said, it wasn't major, but it was. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. We'll say. Anyway, we'll we'll go through some news. Uh, we'll go through the race recap here, and then if there's any news, we can get to that later on. But it was kind of a weird race. It was it was chaotic at the start. You know, we had uh, Jimmy Johnson off in turn four, turn five, may have been forced wide. I'm yeah I don't think it was really all that egregious but it happened then a lap or two later we had oh no what was the what was the second one here what was the second there was two incidents in the top in the first Pelot. 10 laps uh, but yeah it was Polo and Marcus Erickson which we'll discuss in a second then it kind of settled down for a good two-thirds of the um, third next third of the race and then we had Will Power and Devlin DeFrancesco coming together. Again, another one we'll talk about in a minute. And then, you know, at the, at the very end, we had Pato with what they now call an electrical issue because they were able to restart the engine. That engine's on its way to Detroit for Chevy to check out. So I think we can gloss over Jimmy Johnson. It's really not worth talking about that. But eh, Well, I pinned that on him. I, I'll, I'll go to Calderon's defense, I guess. I, I'd say if anybody's trying to blame Calderon, I would disagree. I don't think she, uh, you know, she was, you know, focused on what was ahead of her. And I think there was somebody, about, you know, checking up a little bit. So she had to make a move. 
and it forced Jimmy wide. So I I don't really have an issue with what she did. Yeah, her her job is to not hit the car in front of her, not worrying about Jimmy not hitting his braking on time given the circumstances of that first lap. So yeah, I I think that's another unfortunate driver error from Jimmy Johnson. So what is probably still you know by you know, now it's Tuesday evening. The one with the most intrigue is Marcus Erickson versus Alex Pillow. I'll get your your thoughts here in a second, but long story short, Erickson went up the inside, made the pass, made contact with Pillow, sent Pillow into the gravel. Pillow had some sort of suspension damage, rejoined the race 10 laps down, and that's where he finished 10 laps down. And... That was the ang. It's hard to call Pelot angry. That was the most frustrated Pelot has been outside of that. You know when he got collected in the gateway crash last year, but he pinned the blame on Marcus Erickson. Marcus Erickson did not back down. Did not back down despite being asked in a press conference afterwards and said, "Listen, I saw a spot. I'm going to make a pass. I'm sorry it was my teammate, but it is what it is." And Polo, even after the press conference, I don't remember who talked to him, was was very unwilling to play the nice teammate card there. So while we thought Will Power and Devlin DeFrancesco might be the, uh, the, the next in the rivalry chart, maybe it's two teammates. Yeah, so my breakdown is, is there was... Two things that went on with the Erickson Pillow contact. The first sequence, which is 100% Marcus's fault, is that he broke too deep and or he made a very advantageous attempt to overtake somebody on the third lap of the race when it wasn't really necessary. So you have Erickson who 100% shouldn't have done it, right? All his fault, yada, yada, yada. Then you get to the second part of the sequence is your Pillow, you see it coming now. You need to find a way to just, you know, maybe say, all right, that one's yours. I'm going to be hella pissed about it. And we can talk about it after the race, how you shouldn't be doing that on lap four against your teammate in a, a very intense championship battle. But you just need to let him go and kind of alter your line a little bit and call it a day. Because what Pelot did was not really give him any room again Erickson shouldn't have been there, but given the fact that he was there, you still kind of need to give him a little bit of room and not crowd him too much because I think that's what happened is Erickson got crowded and had Pelot given him just a tiny bit more room, I think they both would have survived that, no problem. And then again, get on the radio and say, what the hell's up with that? Like, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't be racing each other this intense this early. So I put 100% of it on Erickson for breaking too deep, but then I think Pelot could have done himself more favors by just giving him a little more room on the exit. Do you, and this is just a hypothetical question, Pelot maybe assumed, and rightfully or wrongfully, hey, Eric, since my teammate, he knows better, he'll back out or something along those lines. And not saying it's the right thing, but you don't assume that Marcus Erickson, who's been a a great teammate at Ganassi the last, is it two years now, three years now? This is uh, kind of... Three. Yeah, wow. Maybe that's kind of going through Pelot's head, like, okay, I trust my teammate here to do the right thing, and you know, maybe now he's not going to, but 
Yeah, I don't I don't think you're wrong. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here to see if there's something else. I think on the run to turn five, yeah. I mean, you're you know, David and I have seen many a passes into turn five over the years, and you can kind of tell when someone's going to have a run, and you can kind of tell when it's just going to be kind of business as normal going into turn five. And that really looked like a business as normal. I think he was very far behind Pelot to make it work. He Eric's is not normally known as the break deep kind of guy. Like if yeah. that was Sato, I could maybe see it because Sato breaks deeper than anybody into turn five over the years. It's it's absolutely insane how he and Grosjean break so deep there. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, just with the circumstances, your teammate, how far back he was, no way in a million years should Polo have expected it. But then you know once it does happen, you just gotta give him a little room. As my ultimate argument, I guess. Yeah, I agree there. All right, let's go on to Devlin v. Willpower. He also had some. Devlin also had some contact with Kyle Kirkwood. I don't know if you saw that. I rewatched the race and I don't, didn't see it on TV either. But I know that's what Power said after the race. So Devlin said, "Hey, Power moved on me a couple times. I was trying to get a line and." You know, make make my pass power obviously said the opposite i'm pretty sure you and i agree a hundred percent on this one without even having to talk about it judging by the look on your face right now but just speaking on the incident and not what will power said after the incident what did you think i think power gave the whole outside to make whatever pass he wanted to try and attempt and made it abundantly clear that he was not going to really give up the inside into that corner. And Devlin really wanted the inside anyways and judged it wrong again. And it didn't end well. I'm thankful that power at least got to keep going, even though his race was completely ruined. Yeah. Um, which was a good fantasy car for day for me because I had power and below. So that was nice. That's my first fantasy Indy car podium, maybe ever, or maybe my second. I don't know, but yeah. So appreciated Sorry. that. Appreciated Dixon doing absolutely nothing during the race too. Just neither here yeah, nor he's there. Very quiet. But anyway, we'll, we'll Didn't do let, let me, anything. Let me let me touch on Devlin. I agree. It was just not the right. I, I feel Devlin actually had other than that, and I guess that maybe this mysterious Kirkwood contact that. I don't want to say mysterious. The Kirk contact we didn't see. His lap times were pretty good. So he had pace. And I think if he had just been a little more patient, might have actually been able to do something on willpower. That being said, terrible move, terrible decision. I I don't like in the heat of the moment after the race, Devlin was like essentially blaming, I don't want to say blaming Will, but blaming Will. And I know they've you know made up and hugged and talked things out. That Will Power posted that on social media today. But Will Power after the race did kind of intentionally give a little give a little shoulder into into Devlin's car with a with the side of his car. We saw or I saw the Facebook community begging for a three race ban. Uh, to chop off Will Power's arms, to suspend him forever. While it was intentional, I don't think there's any denying that. 
what would you do if you were Kyle Novak and Jay Fry right now? If it if if it wasn't in the pits, which it wasn't, and you didn't put anybody else at risk, I'd say a small monetary fine and call it a day. We don't need to make this into some gigantic thing. Uh, my per, I, I think there should be a fine just for the sake of keeping or saving face. My personal opinion is I don't give a rat's ass that Will Power did that one bit. I I think it was warranted. I think you got this rookie who's been a menace on the track this year. And I'm very thankful that said menace did not cause any accidents at Indianapolis, although he looked very determined to do that. I I think he's been kind of a hazard at a couple other tracks and you know some at some point words don't really transcend very far if the messages aren't being received so give him a little little love tap on the cooldown lap i have no especially since he didn't wreck him didn't destroy any equipment or anything like that didn't put anybody else in danger didn't you know put the crew in danger or anything like that just give him a little little rub i'm all good with that yeah i've gone back and forth first off i agree fine whatever you know hey you're on double secret probation for a race like okay fine i don't think it's suspension worthy or anything at all because i don't think a big deal needs to be made out of this but i think if i'm you know kyle novak at the next driver's meeting i'm uh, briefing before mid-ohio i'm saying hey if you do that there will be a stiffer penalty like you know make make like a little bit of an example out of it but i don't think you need to like blow it out of proportion publicly or 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 anything like that it was it was like a it was a little bit too much for my liking now he did it at a spot in the track where if devlin had spun or whatever he would have gone off into the the grass and you know not damaged anything really so it is what it is i would have rather him you grabbed him by the fire suit collar and and screamed and shaken him a little bit because i think that would have Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, 
and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today. Done them. That's a miss. That's a mismatch. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my point. You know, go go hockey style on this one, but it was a little too much for my liking. It was just I don't I don't know. Not not my style. Counter argument is that you know you say Kyle Novak needs to make an example out of what Power did after the race. I think. And I guess I'm not a fly on the wall, but I think more examples need to be made out of Devlin's actions on the track. Like, no disagreement. You know, hey, pow- power wouldn't have hit you, whether power was right or wrong. Power wouldn't have hit you had you not dumped him into turn five because you misjudged it like an idiot. Yeah. So I, I, guess, I, I agree. I, think I don't could... know what was said after Texas when yeah. blatant three incidents there, but I think you could you know say, hey, part A. Don't do what Devlin did. Devlin, please don't do that. Part B, also don't do what Will Power did on the cooldown lap, and we're cool. You know, you could make it into both. Did you? Uh, what did you think of uh, Pagano's save on the? Oh my kink? god, I I I <laughs> can't believe he did not like. At some point, you're thinking, okay, he's in the grass. He's in the grass. He's in the grass. He's it's it that you know some bump in the dirt or something is going to hook him into the wall, and we're going to. Have a yellow flag. Like I had taken out my phone ready to tweet that we were under yellow, and he just, I mean, that was one of the more epic, adventurous saves we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, because I watched the lights race from the backstrike kettle bottoms, which is between yeah. the kink and Canada corner, and I'm thinking to myself, right up to the point where they start breaking, that was about 100 yards before that, so that when they were still going full throttle. And I'm like, this is easily the most dangerous part of the track right here. This or when you get to the braking zone in turn five are easily yeah. the most dangerous parts of this track. Mainly because I was thinking more from like a fan's point of view that if someone gets hooked right at that rate of speed, there's a good chance they may hit the fence. And seeing Pagano, he didn't want to turn right until he didn't have a choice anymore. So he took it all the way to the wall. And I'm thinking to myself, had he brushed the wall and got like jerked back into the racing line in some dramatic fashion, Scott Dixon would have been in some serious trouble. So I'm really glad there wasn't an incident there, but that is probably one of the scariest places to have any sort of incident is that spot that he had it in. So I'm glad it was okay. It was a great save. I kind of watched the onboard of what led up to it i'm kind of confused on either he, he kind of missed the apex and was carrying a little too much speed so it was kind of a double whammy so i bet he learned his lesson on that one but i guess at the end of the day no harm no foul and good save on him hey real quick let's give our uh, thankfulness that christian bogle is okay after that wild indy lights accident when he hit the front of the curb and went into the catch fence and the catch fence did its job and crumpled and then the car just landed and he was got out like it was no big deal so that's obviously why the indy lights race ended after indycar but glad to see that the fence and indy lights chassis did its job thank you delara yeah it was crazy i've never seen a car do that where no you know snap around like we've seen with frank and wickens and conway and whatnot and it also happened to Lindsay brewer in the Indy Pro Race, too, where yeah. she launched over the curb. So they 
in Road America definitely needs to address that because I've never seen that there, so I just don't know if that's just something they've never encountered. But to see it twice in one weekend was pretty crazy. Uh, Lindsay's crash was pretty insignificant, all things considered. But, yeah, Christian Bogles could have been a lot worse, so I'm glad it was all good. It was, like, one of the only times I wasn't in turn five on a race day was for that, so that was a little weird. I saw a red flag in the backstretch, but I couldn't hear the audio, and I, there was no TV screen, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, Hope I was... That's happening. I had, wa- I, was, I had turned around, and I wasn't looking at the screen, and then I saw people kind of, like, terrified looking at the screen. I'm like, I guess I should pay attention, and I saw, like, the tail end of the the accident. But, yeah, I mean, with, with Road America being repaved at the end of the year, you would think that repaving means the curbing has to come up to to pave so maybe they'll address it at that point at least that's kind of what the discussion was after the race on sunday yeah so there was that pato's dnf that sucks for he was running you know eighth ninth yeah drops down to 26 that doesn't help the championship at all unfortunately no it's been a weird month for championship contenders you know Outside of, I guess, kind of Erickson, you know, Pato had a rough race. Palo had a tough race. Will Power had a tough race. Newgarden won, but didn't have a great Indy 500. You know, so some of the guys in the top six or seven right now in the championship have had like one, at least one race in the last month where they finished outside of the top 15. Power, Pato, and Palo obviously getting the yeah. short end of the stick this week. So that sucks for them. But yeah, um, I'm sure he'll, well, I guess, I don't know for sure. He might do fine in mid-Ohio. We'll see. Uh, what did we make of the daily Pagano final restart? Connor being very not thrilled with the way Pagano raced him in turn five. I'd say 90, I don't really don't have an issue with it. I mean, he, he forced him a little wide at the at the exit of the corner when he was putting the throttle down. Like, yeah, you, he definitely, he didn't give, give Connor any room, but... I, I think unlike the Erickson thing, Pagano seemed to be more alongside of Daly, so I I don't think it's as egregious as Connor said. I, I get why he's frustrated because he definitely had no room to go anywhere uh, when he when he was exiting the corner, but not really a big deal to me. Part of it is you're just hoping the guy doesn't run you off, right? But the other part right. is. I think we've continually seen it over the couple of, last couple of years of turn five and turn six, where if you're not in the correct position, you're going to get run off the road. And drivers need to be consciously thinking about that when they're defending and attacking. Like if you're trying to attack somebody going into turn five where you're setting yourself on the outside position, even if you somehow get a good run, you're still going to be on the outside going into turn six and you're just going to probably get run off. Or if you're trying to pass on the outside into turn five, and you don't pull it off, you're also going to leave the door open for somebody else to get you into turn six, and they're going to run you off. So ideally what you always want to do is turn five and turn six. You pretty much exclusively want to be on the inside if you're trying to make that happen, or you have to be four-fifths of the way ahead of them to execute the pass because you can kind of just sort of cut them off. But if you're going like 50-50 in a corner and you're on the outside in five or six, there's like a 75% chance you're going to get knocked off the track and lose three or four spots. So I think – if that's the way the drivers are going to race it, and if that's the way that race control is going to allow it, not call any penalties, then drivers need to be very cognizant of that going forward. I mean, it's not a blocking penalty. I don't know. You know, it's not avoidable contact. 
I don't think there's like really a penalty you you could call on it anyway, unless he like no. physically you know puts a wheel into him to knock him off. Like okay, then that would be a penalty. I'm trying to remember who I think it was like Newgarden shoved Montoya off in 2016 in turn five. Yeah, and I think that was kind of one of the first examples of like that's that's how you're going to be able to do it nowadays with these cars. So yeah, some guys have kind of caught up to that, and other guys just have kind of learned their lessons the hard way and some of them have continued to learn their lessons the hard way so we'll see if if people adapt for next year rossi got his first pull in a long time so that was great it was really good to see he also did it on blacks which is really cool but at the end of the day Newgarden's pace was just too strong it's interesting because rossi was actually catching Newgarden hand over fist until the pato caution came out and then on the restart the second restart with the real one uh, Erickson got past Rossi and Joseph just skipped off into the distance. What do you think was going through Joseph's head when the paddle caution came out and shades of 2021 were coming all back up over everybody's heads? He see, Somebody asked him about that after the race, and he said, you know, I felt like we had the stronger car versus Rossi from what I had seen in the last five to eight laps or so. So I think he was feeling pretty confident still because – I mean, at least that's what he said afterwards. So yeah, there was probably a couple of, oh, shit, you know, maybe not here we go again, but, you know, we just we just brought Rossi back right to me. But I, from what he said, from what he said, you know, he was very confident in his race car that he would be able to, you know, hold off Rossi or, you know, hold off Erickson. So, and he did, and he, he pulled away still at the, at the end there. So, yeah, I'm probably, I don't think he was probably all that stressed on this one. Yeah, I just I'm like, oh great, here we go again. Yeah, gearbox yeah. failure. Rossi might win now. So yeah, glad that the I mean he's been lights out the last two years. I don't remember what happened in 2020, but he's been lights out these last two years at Road America. So good on him. Also with it, he won the People Ready Million Dollar Challenge. So congratulations to him. He gets half a million, and then he split half a million between uh, two different charities. One was a animal shelter slash dog walking group in Nashville. And the other was uh, providing resources for was like developmentally disabled children and yeah, you know, children who have physical afflictions. So it obviously gives a, res- a lot of resources to the charity. So that was really awesome. He had those picked and two really good charities to support. Yeah, I think so actually one person from, each of the charities joined in the press conference after the race, and the lady who is in charge of the dog rescue center said that their money would be able to build them a bigger building for the animals. So that's pretty amazing. And I know the other charity, the name is escaping me, Fun, not Fun Kids, that's a, a podcast I was talking to earlier today serious fun something along those lines they uh joseph does a lot you know the the ping pong tournament he does in he did in nashville last year and again this year they will be able to put a lot of that towards other i think educational resources is what the guy said on the on the press conference so super cool yeah so good job by joseph for winning his three races all came on different courses and then Thank you to People Ready for that awesome initiative, and I hope they can keep that going because that did that got a lot of people talking after the race. Yeah, they got a lot of 
good attention out there, uh, a lot of positive press. So that's, I think, on their end from the commercial side, a million dollars well spent. So I hope they can keep that going because that was a really awesome idea. Uh, so congrats to Joseph on winning. Championship's still really tight. Me and David were talking about how we can't remember a time where the championship was this close and had this many drivers within 100 points after June. Uh, I think it was the top 10 is all within a shout. And we kind of said we would add Herta into that list. So basically the one I'm a little fishy on for championship contention would be Pagano. Yeah. Uh, he's currently ninth, I think, but I'm not really sold on his abilities to make a championship run. So the top 10 minus Pagano plus Herta, I think are all within a legitimate shot here to win the championship. And, you know, with what we saw, we saw three really good contenders all have bad days. And when we get to mid-Ohio, it tends to be a very straightforward track, but you just never know. could be someone else's bad day. You just got to be ready to capitalize and get as many points as you can. And the last couple mid-Ohio's have been, you know, for a while, mid-Ohio was, you know, pretty standard. You knew what to expect. Yeah. Boring. The last few have... I don't remember last year in particular, but the few before that at least were pretty crazy for mid-Ohio standards. Like the one where Rosenquist tried to pass Dixon on the last lap when Rosenquist was still on Ganassi kind of sticks out. And and the one before that, I don't even remember what happened at this point, but I think mid-Ohio as the track surface gets older is becoming more lively. Yeah, I think the new cars have helped too. The Aero Kids just yeah, it it was just terrible. So I don't want to, I don't want to, but we're gonna recap our predictions. Uh, finishing last was me. Oh no, I had uh, Polo. Oh. oh, don't know what I'm supposed to do about that. I had Power. Don't know oh. what I'm supposed to do about that. And my long shot was Kirkwood. They were on the Rosenquist strategy until they weren't. I don't know why they deviated from it, but neither here nor there. Uh, Frenchie came in second. I was going to say an asterisk, but you were going to win anyways. Uh, he did have Pato finish 26. So, again, what are you supposed to do about that? Erickson P2 and then Sato 15th. You had Newgarden, Rossi, and Harvey. So Two weeks in a row I've won, which is unprecedented in predictions. We've had some recent staff changes at PLP. Host is doing well in predicting. The world has gone to shit. Yeah, just like 187 no degrees to... today. So, you know, things are definitely flipped on his head. Yeah, boxing really sucked today after not boxing for five days and having mm. an ultra healthy weekend. Uh, boxing in 90 degree heat today was really a good time. So, um, driver of the day, who do you got? Driver of the day, let's give a shout-out to Graham Rahal for qualifying poorly and finally charging through the field and finished seventh, I think, eighth maybe. So kind of the kind of the day that like Rahal as an organization needed. All three of their cars moved up as the race went on, I think. Lungard was right around 10th or 11th most of the race, so... You know, not an outstanding weekend, but a positive weekend that they desperately needed. I would like to give an honorable mention to the relevant side of Andretti Autosport for P3, P4, P5. And 
you know, Rossi had pole, Herta was in the fast six, Grosjean was P7. So they seem to have that figured out this weekend. So that's really good to see kind of Andretti Autosport rebounding finally after um, a pretty subpar Indy 500 minus Rossi and a pretty subpar start to the season. So good job for them. I think they got some positive momentum building, which kind of it's kind of been their playbook for the last couple of years is to have a bad start to the year and then finish out strong. So good on them. But my driver of the day is actually going to be, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> We'll go with the two rookies. We'll say Lungard. I thought Lungard did a great job all day. Stuck right with Dixon pretty much the entire day. It was on the same strategy as Dixon and uh, didn't allow Dixon to overcut or undercut him significantly. And I thought he was doing a good job. And then Callum Eilat with the Junkos Hollinger team, with what they have and what they're doing, they must have a very good driver and engineering team strategy relationship going. Because whatever they're doing right now is working very well. You know, you look at it on a black and white point of view, P11 after starting P12, like, oh, okay, whatever. But you look at their resources compared to the other teams out there. With what they're doing right now, they're doing a great job. And Callum was fighting with people all day and keeping his nose clean and not doing anything stupid like others were. So, to me, it's a very impressive thing to watch these guys, especially in these natural road courses right now, because they're doing a great job. Agreed. Disappointment? Scott Dixon. Just not... Is that because Lungard almost beat him? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Fair. But no. I. It just... Yeah, you know, he barely transferred into the Fast 12, and then just... Usually, that's a race where Scott Dixon ends up finishing 5th or 6th or something like that. And I don't know if they just picked the wrong strategy or, or what, but he was kind of just nowhere to be seen all day. And that's, you know, very not like Scott Dixon. So Scott gets the rare disappointment of the day. I'll have to check to see if the number nine car has ever started ninth and finished ninth. I would imagine so. I don't know. Uh, that's, that has to be pretty rare. I'm saying Elio. I... I think we are probably in the point of maybe being able to discuss if he's just going to go back to Indy 500 only. Or at least ovals only. Yeah, or ovals only because I don't I don't understand it. I don't get it. I am, I'm trying to remember a time where he like massively outshone Pagano on a road course or any race besides Indy. No. Struggling. Struggling. Um the second to last restart attempt, not sure what to call that, but uh, it wasn't pretty. And yeah, I, I don't want to say I was right, but I just don't get it. I, I don't know what Elio offers a team at this point in his career outside of May. I just, I just don't. So I, I would love to debate you, but I, I, I got, I got nothing. I want to debate just to debate, but I I can't. We'll, we'll we'll get back to that at some point. Um, did you have again? Thanks to everybody who took the time to hang out with me this weekend. That was really awesome to see so many great people. I didn't have anything else. It's kind of slow news week outside of Road America. Now we got a couple weeks off before Mid Ohio. So, did anything come up for you that you wanted to discuss before we wrapped up? No, I think I think. You know, since it's an off weekend, we can we can cut up there, and we'll we'll get to any news that potentially comes up during the week next week. And yeah, appreciate everybody. Saw a lot of people there. 
Hickey's playing solitaire on his phone at the end of the episode here. So I got forced an ad. I got forced an ad to watch. Trying to <laughs> check on the news. So yeah, there's nothing. I was just looking at motorsports. There's there's nothing much going on right now. It's kind of like all the news was you know ten days ago and has gotten quiet since then. But I think we're on the verge of at least silly season rumors starting to pop back up here in the near future. I know speaking to a couple people on a few teams this weekend, the road to Indy silly season in terms of your drivers looking for another Indy light season or, you know, bumping up to Indy lights is already in full force and has been for the last month. So might start to see some stuff on that front as well. And, there's a couple Indy Lights guys I know are poking around IndyCar as well, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about that soon. But yeah, again, stay tuned for our first episode with David Malukas as co-host. Hopefully the week leading up to Mid-Ohio. I will confirm that later this week at some point. But yeah, everybody, thank you very much and have a lovely weekend of racing. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.